Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is Jonathan Pritchett and Adam Coleman. We the are Adam Coleman. Yeah, the Adam Coleman. Man, yeah. this has been a long time coming. I apologized yep. on Adam's show that uh, that I really screwed up, man. I, I'm going to say it now here to our audience. Adam was one of the first people that contacted me after I had a debate with Matt Dillahunty last year and asked me if I'd be interested in coming on his show. But I, but we never worked it out, and it was because of my own laziness. And that is unacceptable, Adam. And I ask publicly for your... I repent and publicly ask for your forgiveness. Well, you know, fortunately, it's it's a resurrection week, you know, so it's kind of hard for me to not forgive you given the, you know, the time of year. So you caught me on a good week, man. Good. Oh, there you go. go. I got it. I'm going to let it slide. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. And I don't have any true ID uh, uh, apparel or anything like that today. But interesting. Well, me neither. I do have John McRae's T-shirt on. So, uh, okay. but, <laughs> but Adam, take a minute and tell us a little bit about your channel, what you do, what you focus on that maybe is unique to, to what you do. I mean. Um, I know when you talk, some of the stuff you talk about is stuff I don't know anything about. And um, so let us know whatever you want to say about yourself and your channel and your ministry and your life. Um, go for it. Cool. Yeah, man. So I'm just a guy who uh, got into apologetics. Um, I guess it's been about you know six or seven years ago now. At, at different points in my life, you know, I, was, I would kind of run into it. But I got serious about it maybe about uh, six or seven years ago. Um, where, quite frankly, you know, my wife and I, we had a, a personal tragedy where, um, you know, we had a miscarriage during our, our first pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by God's grace and providence, it just so happened that maybe like five or so months before then, mm-hmm. my dad had sent me like, a you know, some William Lane Craig stuff, some Norm Geisler, and I just been eating it up every day, you know, not realizing that, yeah, as I was building up my faith, I mean, I would need that, you know, going into the trial that we went into. It was a very difficult time. So, um, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about apologetics. I mean, it's it's something that has impacted my life personally. And I honestly don't know where I would be, you know, had it not been for, you know, God working through uh, the vehicle of apologetics. And so I started studying and, and really getting into, you know, like I said, William Lane Craig, as, as you know, most of us do, you know, of course, your Robert Zacharias and stuff like that. And um, actually, interestingly enough, I was listening to something on YouTube and within the span of like a month, you know, and this is no disrespect to anybody, but there was like a series of different videos where I would watch, whether it be John Lennox, uh, some Frank Turek and some other folks, where people were asking questions that seemed out of the box of what they would generally get, you know. And I realized that, you know, some of these questions that I was getting from my own family members as well, you know, like, is Christianity the white man's religion? And, you know, for whatever reason, these questions were coming up during like Q&A sessions at these different apologetics events. Nobody, like, nobody you know, really very... asked that question at my family gatherings. That's weird, isn't it? <laughs> <I don't... laughs> right? It's never come up, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, that's, but that's the thing, you know, I, I use the analogy all the time of, of grandma's cookout where, you know, one year you, you go and your cousin Charles his real name is Charles. And next thing you know, he he shows up, his name is Shabazz now or something like that, you know, or, or some Hebrew Israelite name. And I, I mean, I say it jokingly, but that's really what's happening. You know, unfortunately, there are a number of um, worldviews that are gaining traction in the African-American context uh, that are putting objections against and, you know, questions about, you know, the Christian faith on the table. And for whatever reason, you know, we, you know, the church just hasn't been attentive to it. And I myself, I wasn't either, you know. 
And so uh, I realized that, hey, you know, maybe, you know, I need to do something about it. You know, maybe I need to, you know, get in the game. And so um, about three and a half, four years ago, I launched the True ID podcast. Uh, the True ID stands for the real you Imago day. And uh, my perspective on that was, you know, the image of God is the foundation of who we are. And a lot of the objections that I was getting had to do with identity one way or the other. And so I wanted to give a biblical response. And so that's how I started True ID. And then I just kind of branched into doing speaking engagements. And, um, uh, you know, now I'm you know doing this whole YouTube thing. I'm trying to do my best Braxton Hunter and John the Pritchard impression no. and do some nah. response videos and things no. like that and try to step my game. Listen, man. Yeah. First of all, I was, was going to say your name, that true ID. I didn't know that. I, I just oh. thought it was, I just thought it was clever. I don't know. I thought maybe intelligent design. I don't know. Something like that. And uh, that is a really cool. And, um, you know, I, you're not trying to be Braxton Hunter, Jonathan Pritchett for one clear reason. <laughs> well, number one, nobody should be trying to do that. But secondly, um, you are doing what Jonathan Pritchett advocates for quite regularly, which is, don't just be focusing all the time on uh, atheism, man. There's other stuff out there, and there's a dearth of apologists who are working on things like that. So it's good that we have people like you who are working on that um, when the rest of us oh, are— Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and to that point, I mean, there's a whole—there's uh, a growing community of what you know was most often referred to as urban apologists. Um, now, obviously, we're not just doing apologetics in geographically urban areas, but typically uh, this, that term is used in reference to doing apologetics within the context of, of groups that are, uh, excuse me, people groups that are influenced by ideologies that happen to uh, often springboard from uh, these urban centers. Well, I'm uh, glad, like I'm glad you like, clarified that. Jonathan Pritchett mm -hmm. and I, we, we're cool enough to know that. But uh, surely there are some people out there that are that are just they're just completely lost. I think I followed that uh, with him. Did you follow Jonathan, or were you too um, too middle too like Arkansas to to follow? No, I <laughs> no man. I'm from Central Arkansas, man. We I know all about it. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you how how good True ID is. If you need to not only subscribe, but uh, I'm pretty stingy, and even I'm a patron, so. Everyone else needs to, as long as they don't stop, I'm, like I said, Stingy, don't stop giving to us, but give more and give, uh, <laughs> become a patron for True ID. Um, because uh, I, I'm really behind that uh, 200%, man. I put my money where my mouth you're, is on that You're one. behind, you're 200% that, man. people giving to our Patreon account. Is that what you said? Is that what you <laughs> that that came out? <laughs> That too, but I, I'm 200. He's a prosperity behind. preacher now, man. Is that what this is? <laughs> no, but earlier today I did threaten to get all Kenneth Copeland on our uh, uh, patrons because apparently uh, my setup is at home is nowhere as good as Braxton's. So I'm like, well, I guess I need to tell the patrons to give more and 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 to plant that seed or whatever you, whatever it is they do so that I can I can have the Braxton Hunter setup. So yeah, but here's here, here, cloth but, or something. here's our promise: if you uh -huh. whatever you give us, we will give you tenfold in terms of podcast episodes. It, oh, all, good. all that that's is good. to say, we're just going to keep making podcast episodes. Yeah, but you, you see, we do spend all of our money on equipment. It's just money for Braxton Hunter to have equipment. So. <laughs> all right, so Adam. So Jonathan Adam. is in some warehouse right now. You know, just yeah, I'm sitting in my bedroom on the floor, man. Well, listen, uh, I wish people could see what they're, what I'm, I've got like basically, this is going to be the most chill uh, episode ever, but I've basically cool. got this like card table folded out and I've got right. this light that is not meant to be used for this. And I'm, my, my 
camera is sitting on a big YouTube by YouTube uh, coffee table book. Uh, and behind me is just two Hue lights. I mean, this is a really cheap setup. It's just this is my home setup. That's you know? YouTube, man. That's how you get down. There you go. You know. No, right. I, I have a phone and a door. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting on the floor with this propped up on a stool from the I stole from the Trinity Radio Studio. So, nice, nice. all right, all right, Adam, Adam, are you ready to? Yeah, poor be, folks got poor ways. Are man. you are you ready to be challenged to the core by some of the best atheist um, argumentation? In the form of questions, um, that you, oh, I have to say, man, I you know I almost didn't agree to come on this show, man. When you guys told me what we were doing, I was like, I just I wasn't sure if I could handle it. You know, I'll try to do the best I can. You know, but we'll, we'll see what happens, man. Well, you know, C.S. Lewis said that we apologists take our lives into our hands daily because um, we we ha we end up in facing these uh, challenges from the enemy head on, and if that has ever happened to you. This hour, it is about to happen. So buckle your seatbelt, pal, because here we go. The first, uh, I've grouped these into questions that are somewhat in the same category. So uh, when we first did this, I was going question one, question two. I'm not doing that anymore. If he asks several questions in a row that are on the same topic, I just play those and then we talk about it. So the first group has to do with the virgin birth. Do you affirm the virgin birth, Adam Coleman? Oh, in, in the words of my man, Nick Peters, I do affirm the virgin birth. Absolutely. And I affirm the virgin Absolutely, birth, yeah. which you also affirm. Yes. Great. Jonathan, do you <laughs> affirm the virgin birth? Yes. All right. Let's hear what this guy has, him at Meta, has to say about the virgin birth. Do you really believe Mary was impregnated without ever having sex? If someone came up to you and said she was pregnant, but she was totally a virgin, would you believe her? Why did God have to rape a teenage girl in order to become human? Okay, so ending on a very provocative and offensive note. Um, I, I'll let Adam, um, you know what? You're our guest. Why don't you bust into this and tell us what you think? Are, gotcha, are you still gotcha. a Christian, first of all, after that? I, I am, but I'm hanging on by a thread. Okay. You know, I, that, that third question... That that one that one kind of got me there. So I'm I'm, I'm yeah. barely holding. I'm yet holding on here. So yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, first of all, it was, it was interesting as I was kind of thinking about this this um this whole videos. I think it's like 78 questions. It really should be about 15 because I feel right. like he he throws in like little sub questions. It counts it as a question, and really it kind of isn't. But you know, anyway, I guess it's neither here nor there. But um, you know, with the first question, you know, would would you believe, you know, that somebody was born without of a virgin or something like that? Um, I mean, I know it's not presented as an argument. You know, I guess it's, it's supposed to be just a question, but I feel the underpinning of it really is like a just an argument from from incredulity. I mean, just just because you can't believe it doesn't mean that I don't have good reasons, you know, to affirm, you know, the virgin birth. I mean, the fact of the matter is, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, we're talking about a God who created the earth, the, the universe that the earth is in and everything all the above. Right. So for him to be born of a virgin, I mean, that's kind of, you know, small potatoes. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's that's not really doing a whole lot. <laughs> so yeah. um, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, was, I would affirm, you know, that that uh, the, the virgin virgin birth. And within the context of, of, of theism in general, I don't think there's anything irrational about that, you know. So, did you want to run through all, all three of the questions? Because I, I, I don't want to monopolize the conversation. No, but, that, uh, that's that's fine. Um, either one of you all can can answer this one. What what if some girl came up to you and said that she was experiencing a virgin pregnancy, 
um, and that she was carrying the Son of God, would would you believe her? And if not, why not? Aren't you special pleading for Jesus? You know what? I'll just jump in and say, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. Well, I was just going to say, it's kind of interesting that, uh, just going off what Adam just said, that, you know, there's even Christians uh, or people within the, you know, people within the Christian community who will claim that, well, I can, yeah, I I don't, I I don't, uh, I'm kind of a Christian, you know, the the types will say, I'm I'm Christian-ish, but I don't uh, believe in the virgin birth either. And it's always puzzled me, like what Adam said, that you can believe that God exists and maybe you believe in the resurrection and maybe you don't, but you believe God exists and created the cosmos, but by golly, supernaturally causing a, uh, a conception to occur, that's just beyond the pale. You know, I, that has never made sense to me. Right, right. Uh, another thing is his last question in that series actually negated all the others, and it demonstrates how exceedingly stupid and illiterate he is when it comes to conceptualizing the virgin birth because God did not rape Mary. No, I'm sorry. I see. I see you made a face. I'm sorry, but if you, but number one, it negates his previous. It negates all his other questions, assuming that they didn't have sex, and then he says God rapes. So if he's going to say something, you know, out loud, so am I. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's God. Yeah, stupid. The God of the Bible is not like Zeus, okay? And if you can't get, if you can't tell the difference between the God of the Bible and the mechanism of the Holy Spirit doing a supernatural work in Virgin Mary and what Zeus does and all the other Greek pantheon gods do, then I'm sorry, you you don't have the uh, capacity, you know, uh, for me to take you seriously. So that and it negates all his previous questions because she it was either a virgin birth or, or she was raped. But uh, Yahweh is not the kind of being that that has sexual encounters. It's a totally different conceptual framework that he should be aware of if we're going to take him seriously as a thinking atheist. Moreover, well, he doesn't claim um, thinking atheist. He claims to be the friendly one. Okay, but <laughs> but but I mean, here, but here, well, let, let me wait, let me jump in. He's not going to say. He, well, hold on. He's not going to say that he. He's a he's an anti thinker. So uh, but he needs to he needs to learn this lesson. And finally, I want to say if somebody came up to me and said that, that, that uh, she is pregnant, and she has a bit of virgin. I would want to know the same circumstances like I know the circumstances in the stories of Matthew and Luke, uh, because, I mean, if it's in vitro, then OK, if that's the circumstances behind her virgin birth, that's scientifically possible. So, again, since it's scientifically possible for that to, to be the case, um if if modern science can do something, why why think that God couldn't accomplish the same thing without having to, you know, go through our mechanism? It, it just makes no sense to me. But if she claims that it happened supernaturally, I'd still need to know the circumstances, but I'd be highly skeptical of it because it's not in the same context, the religious context of the first century. Coleman. And you know what? Actually, Coleman. you mind if I, if I piggyback on that right quick? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just want to piggyback because you said something very interesting. Well, first of all, you know, with with that second question about like, you know, would you believe somebody that just came up to you? I mean, I would have the same response that Joseph did. <laughs> so Joseph, when, when Mary came to Joseph, and you said, "Hey, look, I got this child that I haven't known a man." He's like, uh, "Nah, sis, yo, we got a problem. <laughs> right? We got a problem here." You know, so he reacted to say, "I would react the same way that Joseph did." However, you know, God provided him with special revelation, obviously, you know, with the angel appearing to him and so forth, and so then that was able to kind of overcome what he understood to have been something that was supernatural. You know, um, but aside from that, you know, to the point about um, you know, going back to his first question. You know, would you believe that somebody uh, got pregnant without having, you know, um, having had sex? Uh, I would say that 
you know, we already spoke about how you have a God who's obviously able to bring, you know, that sort of a thing about. But from an atheist perspective, right, um, I think it's far more illogical to believe that you can have life coming on life. That somewhere along the line, back in the day, you had, you know, so-called abiogenesis, where this, you know, non-living matter just happened to combine in just the right way to bring about DNA and everything that's involved in you know, reproduction and so on and so forth. Um, and, and mind you, that having happened after the universe was created for nothing, from nothing, and by nothing. So I think that's a pretty spectacular uh, coincidence, or indeed, I would say more miraculous than having a God who's able to bring those things about, where you just have chemistry and physics just flowing together by chance, you know, and then coming up with somehow, uh, you know, whatever the first living organism would have been. And last thing I want to say, too, is uh, to your point about, um, you, know, the, you know, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit coming on Mary— when you think about it, that the phraseology of the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and then she was with a child. You see that same phraseology all throughout the Old Testament with, you know, David or some of the prophets like Saul. I'm thinking about some of the judges where the Holy Spirit would empower them to do a particular task or something like that. And that's how they would frame it. You know, the Holy Spirit came upon, you know, Saul or it came upon so-and-so and then they did X, Y, and Z. So it's the same thing that you have with Mary here. There's nothing sexual about it, you know, that's to, right. to, to this point. Yeah. yeah, a lot of really good points there. You guys made all the points that I, I wanted definitely to get out there and more. Um, the, the, the abiogenesis thing was is absolutely right. I mean, you can chalk mm. any worldview up, certain aspects of any worldview. If you want to use the right tone and cartoon language, you can make it sound a certain way. But look, right. what, are, what are we really saying? We're saying we believe the, uni the God uh, brought the universe into existence. Now, if you don't think that, then, then, then guess what? You either believe the universe came to exist uncaused from nothing by nothing, or you believe it simply always existed, which whether it seems on the surface to you to be as ridiculous or not, that is ridiculous because of the impossibility of a past infinite series of causal events. So we believe in a, a God who created the universe from nothing. So as you said, and I love the way you said it is exactly the way I like to say it is then uh, causing one of his creatures to be pregnant without interaction with a, a man um, is small potatoes for him, right? I, I, yes. That's absolutely uh, the, way, the way we look at that. And, and by the way, to Pritchett's point about, um, first of all, I didn't even see it. You're right. I, I was so flabbergasted by what he said. It does. It completely contradicts everything he said before because either we're talking about a virgin birth or we're talking about a rape. If we're talking about a rape, uh, people do get pregnant from rapes. That would not be a, vir a virgin yeah. birth. And the thing about that that I want to say is, um, if so often in the atheist community, what we hear, and I say this with great um, appreciation to the atheists that are in our audience who are not this way, but when you speak about the fact that you came from an evangelical Christian background and you already understand all that stuff probably better than most Christians, and then statements like this are made, and, and I don't know what him at Meta's background is, but I know there are a lot of people who do the same sort of thing. Um, when, when you do that and then you say something like that, you may be just saying it that way to get some Hitchens points, but what you also indirectly kind of showed us is we have no reason now to believe that first thing you said about you were raised in it and know everything about it because that is that is absurd. So, all right, uh, let's move on then. Any other final comments on that? Yeah, we also have no reason to take you seriously now for anything that you say, but you can't make certain distinctions that are very important. If you want me to take you seriously, make the proper distinctions and the things that you're discussing or otherwise, you're just trying to troll me and I'm happy to troll you back and I'm better at it. 
I believe that. I believe that Jonathan Pritchard is better than that. That's why we have Pritchett on the show. Uh, all right. So, um, what about Jesus? What if you guys were there when Jesus was on the cross? Let's hear what Meta has to say. If you could go back in time to when Jesus was being crucified, would you try to save him? Or would you stand back and do nothing since your entire faith depends on him being crucified? Um, I'll answer that. Um, I don't know what I would do. I would probably be terrified. Um, nevertheless, that is a comment about my personal psychological state and has nothing to do with God's plan to redeem history. That's first and foremost. Um, it's just like when people ask me, well, what if, what if you lost a child? Would you then become angry at God or reject God or something like that? I don't, I might become angry. I don't know. Would I reject God? I don't think so. But if I did, what does that prove? That proves that given certain a certain level of psychological angst, Braxton Hunter will do action X or believe uh, uh, a proposition X. That has nothing to do with reality or truth or what the fact of the matter is. Um, secondly, um, if 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 I if if I were there, I have no reason to be able to believe that I would be capable of saving Jesus from the Romans. Uh, but if, if, if I somehow were, I don't think God is so weak that he couldn't uh, still redeem history uh, through other means. It's just like when we talk about what if Jesus, I'm about to open a can of worms, um, but it, what, what if Judas had never betrayed Jesus? Would have that have ruined everything? Or was Judas for, did he have to betray Jesus? I don't think so on any of those counts. I think that my God is strong enough um, aware enough that he could still bring about his plans, even if Judas had behaved as Judas should have morally behaved. So, um, so those are my answers. Number one, well, uh, if I had, well, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't know what I would do, but it doesn't matter what I would do. And second, even if I were able to overcome the Roman army and all the Jews and all that whole thing, um, <laughs> it wouldn't, it would, it, God can, I'm not going to get in the way of God's plan. Yeah. It's, it, well, uh, to your point, God knew what Judas was going to freely do anyway, so you know that was going to happen. But is it question? Okay, so am I going to be Peter in the story? Well, you know, Peter tried that, uh, and then he uh, got called out by Jesus, and Jesus had to fix his mess with uh, reattaching the ear. Uh, mm -hmm. So um, would I have been that, or would I have been one of the disciples who stood by and do nothing, and then later cowered from the from the Roman? I want to say. Um, I don't know what I would do. Um, but it's a, you know, for a thought experiment, would I try to stop it? Uh, well, if I was the second person next to Peter and saw what Peter went through, I, you know, I don't want to be the next guy to get, uh, called out by Jesus in front of everyone else and the enemies. So it's kind of like, well, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. Um, but unlike Braxton, I, I would like to think that I'm tough enough to take on the whole Roman Empire. Yeah, and Adam, I, I, I want to I go to you. I want to go to you and, and uh, die a quick death and, and, take, right. and, and take as much time as you want. But something that me and Jonathan said on a an episode from long ago before the YouTube days that I thought was it was one of our attempts to talk about politics. And we ended up just talking about the Bible because we don't know anything about politics. But um, <laughs> but but one thing that, that I think is really interesting to point out is if you go forward into the book of Acts, um, is it is it Acts chapter five with Ananias and Sapphira or is that four? Anybody know? Um, anyway, uh, right. oh, no. five, five, five. And then is it later in chapter five? Maybe. Or it's either it was the, it's right after that. Whenever that happens. Um, and these are people that, for all we know, are are 
believers, you know, born again. And, and because they lied to the Holy Spirit, um, they, they were killed for it. And, um, and, and I think, you know, that, that that's people get mad at God. First of all, when people say, well, that's the, see there, the, the, the God of the old Testament is so wicked. And the God of the new Testament is this lovey dovey Jesus walking around with long hair and sandals, like a hippie talking about love all the time. Well, have you looked at, at, at the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Because that sounds a little bit more like the old Testament way you picture God. It's one God throughout both the old and the new Testament. Right. Um, but yeah. uh, this is me preaching a little bit. I get off Adam and I start preaching sometimes. But what I want to say, Christians, right? You know? we, that's right. We tend to preach sometimes. But what but I want to say about this is that immediately after that, we see then Peter and John and Peter not backing down. And then even at the, even at the point of, uh, you know, come what may we've talked about how, Number one, you know, this is after Pentecost. Now Peter has the reformer of the Holy Spirit in a powerful way working in his life. Um, but on top of that, maybe he saw that thing with Ananias and Sapphira and he's like, dude, we better not screw this up again. We better, we better make sure we lock it down. You know, because that happened once at this point in biblical history. Who knows? Maybe if you don't do things right, this is just what happens to you. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Adam. What do you think about all this? Well, I mean, you know, to, to your point, too, about uh, like, I mean, regardless of what my own personal psychology is in terms of what I would or wouldn't do or, you know, how I respond to the situation that has no bearing on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, whether or not God exists and so on. It's you know totally independent. With that being said, I mean, if, you know, the way he framed the question, it seems as though he's, you know, I'm, I guess I'm going back in some sort of, you know, uh, you know, was it? I was about to say Return of the Jedi. That's totally off. Uh, back to the Future. <laughs> like kind of, you know, Back to the Future type of deal. And I, I know that you know, Jesus is my salvation and all this kind of stuff. I have that knowledge. And I guess maybe if I've got like, uh, if it's like a Call of Duty situation where I got some sort of artillery I can go in and wreck shop and save Jesus, I mean, where it would be a real possibility, <laughs> I would have to ask myself. I mean, the, the, the scriptures say uh, in Hebrews um, chapter 12, I believe. He says it says that um, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Right. So that's Jesus himself who's in this excruciating situation. And I know from the scriptures that for the joy of, of my salvation, you know, that he went ahead and endured the cross. I also know that God, the father, as you know, much as it, you know, it was painful to see his son, you know, to see his son crucified and however you want to construe that theologically, um, he's obviously in, the, in a better position than I am to know uh, the ramifications of what's going on there on the cross. And so if you got at least two thirds of the Trinity that I know are in agreement that this cross is the best way to go, I don't think that it's just my, that my emotional state is, is enough for, to compel me to say, you know, what? I'm just going to override Jesus. And I'm going to override right. the wisdom of God. And I'm just going to pull Jesus off the cross, you know, call of duty style. And, and then, you know, uh, you know, bring him back to the 20th century or, or however that would go, you yeah. know, and and, so, and and then too, the Romans are pretty good at killing people. You know, they, yes. they did a pretty good job of that. You know, and so regardless of what you're bringing to the table, I would you'd have to think about like, man, I might not make it. So am I gonna die and Jesus get crucified, yeah. <laughs> or what? Why just let him do his thing and I'll fall back and and then see him in, in eternity? I'll just leave it at that. You know, uh, that is a good answer. Thing you're going in there, Call of Duty, John Rambo style. <laughs> uh, but but how many Romans are you gonna take out before they take you out? Right. Yeah, I might get two or three. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know but <laughs> I might get a couple, I guess. Jonathan, anything else to add before we move on? No, 
No, I like what he said. The, the, if I knew what I knew now, the weight of what is at stake with Jesus going to the cross, knowing that he's going to his death, knowing that he's going to, uh, for all the penal substitutionary atonement fans out there, absorb the wrath of God against sin in his body so that I don't have to. Yeah, I'm not going to jump in the way of that at all. And I mean, it, I could imagine. I mean, I teared up watching The Passion of the Christ. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that that uh, it'd be hard to to see that. But um, no, I'm not going to try to stop that because um, yeah. I'm a sinner and the blood of bulls and goats aren't good enough to do anything for that. So, hey, um, and I also want to say if you're in the chat right now and and um, we appreciate that you're here. And later, if you're if you're a commenter or you're just watching this video, we have now uh, YouTube has made a way now for us to see when uh, people are commenting who are not yet subscribers. And I've just noticed a lot of the regulars who comment on all of our videos are not subscribers to this channel. And it, we would really, really appreciate it if you would do that. And while you're at it, uh, go go subscribe to True ID as well. But let's move on now to this next question. And uh, let's see what he has to say on what would cause us to change our minds, guys. Let's hear what he has to say. Mm. What would it take to change your mind about God's existence? Um, I've answered this many times. Adam, why don't you open us up? You know, uh, I've got conflicting feelings on this one, you know, honestly. So um, it's like it's like uh, Jonathan was mentioning Peter earlier. You know, Peter, right before the crucifixion, I mean, he, he was the man. He's like, oh, you know, I'll never leave you. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. And then Jesus is like, yeah, before the cock crows three times, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna curse me yourself, and 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 then he's, he's like cussing to you know, to basically deny his affiliation with Jesus, like not that long after, but you know however long it was, and so you know I would I would I would like to believe that there's nothing that would that would sway me away from from uh you know the, the truth of the gospel, you know in, including God's existence obviously, um but the reality is I don't know I I have no idea you know um emotionally psychologically what, what types of you know, frailties we all have. I mean, you know, n none of us are infallible um, or whatever. So, but with that being said, it's kind of like, it'd be like asking, you know, what would it take to convince me that my wife, it, you know, doesn't love me or something like that? I mean, you know, we've got 11 years in the game, you know? So, I mean, I've got quite a bit of, of evidence and good reason to affirm that she loves me. I mean, it's going to take quite a bit, you know, to undo all that, you know? And, and honestly, I, I just think the bar is so high. I'm not, I can't really say, you know what it would take, but you know, nevertheless, I mean, at bare minimum, I'll say this: um, I'm really convinced that arguments like the Kalam cosmological argument, like the contingency argument, like the variations of the moral argument, like the teleological argument, I'm convinced, you know, that these are good arguments. You know, that that God really is the best explanation for things like the the mathematical structure of the physical world. I'm really convinced by that, and so somebody would have to do a, a lot of hard work. You know, at minimum, you know, to to demonstrate that those uh, arguments don't work. And um, so I guess, you know, at bare minimum, it would take something like that. And even then, I don't think that you necessarily have to have argumentation to uh, rationally affirm that God, that God exists. I agree. Or, you know, so I think that even after that, um, one would have to somehow <laughs> I don't even know how this is possible. But I mean, I've had personal experiences and I've had, you know, instances in my life where just the, the reality of God just seems so uh, obvious to me, you know, that I just, I, you know, so I ultimately, I don't know. I mean, at very minimum, at, at, I guess a starting point would be to undo 
uh, or, or debunk the, these arguments, which I believe to be solid. And then even after that, I, you know, I think you'd have a hard way to go, you know, to, to, to yeah. sway me on this. Yeah. Know. Now I'm going to kick it to you, Pritchett, but but I want this is an opportunity for me to respond to an atheist YouTuber who has recently said something about my opinions on this. Um, so, uh, I, first of all, recently I I was. Uh, in fact, me and you, Adam, were the subject of a discussion at the end of one of uh, uh, Palm Creek's episodes. And Palm oh, Creek really? um, was talking about how um, it is the case that Braxton Hunter is the Matt Dillahunty of Christian apologists because <laughs> I have criticized Matt Dillahunty saying the way he has structured his epistemology, there is nothing that could seemingly that could convince him. Because when you're at a position where you're saying something like if someone parted an ocean in Jesus' name, you still wouldn't believe even that something supernatural has happened. It seems like you've structured your epistemology such that you nothing would make you believe. Now, uh, uh, Cedar Creek said that I was that way because the, the problem was I, I made an analogy because, because he said things like to me before in, in, his, in the, one of the first response videos anybody ever made to me was when Pineapple made this response video and said, look, if you, if, if you didn't have the Kalam, would you still believe? Um, and, and, and if the answer is yes, then is the Kalam a good argument? Yes, it's still a good argument. It's just one of, I mean, I mean yes, I would still believe even if I didn't have the argument is what he was trying to get at. And, and so then is it a good argument? Well, the thing about it is it's one of several arguments like Adam just laid out that I have for the truth of God's existence. And I have other arguments for the for the uh, truth of, of Christianity specifically. And, and I likened it to this. So if I were to and I think I said this on your show, Adam, if I were to come home and I think that my wife is home and uh, I see her shoes by the door, her purse on the table and her, her keys on the counter, those are three really good indications that she's home. Oh, but what if you didn't have the purse on the table, or what if you didn't have the keys and all you had was the purse and the shoes? You can take any one of those things away, and I still have other really good reasons to believe she's home. Now, what I said there that he jumped on is, what if you didn't have any of those? And uh, and, and then I referenced the fact that I still have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, which I think is good evidence. Um, and, and if you wanted a good parallel for that, for the analogy, say that. Um, say that my neighbor called me earlier that day and said, I just want to tell you whatever it looks like your wife's at home, right? Okay, so, so but, but, but I think that counts as evidence, the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean nothing could possibly, conceptually, could evidentially uh, demonstrate that I'm wrong. And I've been very clear about this. And uh, so, so I, don't, I, don't, I don't really understand why uh, Palm Creek doesn't get this. But say, for example... Um, you showed me a contradiction in the nature of God. That's the whole point of an argument from evil, at least a logical argument from evil, is to show that there is something contradictory in the nature of God so defined. If you did that, I would have to no longer believe in at least that understanding of God. Um, if, if you were to show me that, uh, you know, we always say, if you could show me the bones of Jesus such that I knew it was the bones of Jesus. And I get it when our atheist friends say, yeah, but for a principle of falsification, that would be very, very difficult to demonstrate. Well, okay, I'm not here to make it easy on you. I'm just telling you what would falsify. Nevertheless, let me make it a little easier for you. If you could find a document that was plausibly from one of the other disciples of Jesus who was saying something like, all that's bunk, man. We don't believe it. These other disciples are making stuff up, trying to start a religion for God knows what reason. They, uh, they, they, I guess they're, you know, 
they, they're going to make up something that's going to get them persecuted. I don't understand it, but that's what they're doing. Okay, that would count powerfully against the claims that we base our faith upon. But you don't have that sort of thing. And so it's a very serious difference. I'm not saying nothing would convince me. I'm saying I've got evidences, and if you take one or two or three of them away, it doesn't make me no longer a Christian. So that's my response to Cedar Creek. I don't know what you guys have to say. Well, um, I was a couple of different things. I mean, I, I like how uh, you don't get to make faces about what I say anymore after that tirade about Pine Creek. <laughs> uh, it, it just bothers him so much that our commitment to our faith is a lot stronger than the hair follicles commitment to his hairline. I know it bothers him, but it's just, that's the way it is. So for me, coming off of what Adam said, I mean, he was already going a little bit dilly-hunty um, with the, I don't know what it will take. So let me go full dilly-hunty here, okay? Uh, God knows what it would take for me to not believe in him. So the problem there is God has to exist in order to show me what it would take so it's just virtually it, look here's the problem with me like you said you could dig up some bones of jesus and that might call it christianity into question you know but that's not the question that we're answering the answer is that god exists um so i am for so long that it's i'm not likely to hear anything new at this point in my life that could ever sh shake my belief in God. I've, I've, I've heard it and heard it and heard it, and I'm not hearing anything new. I just hear variants on a phrase. But I'm just at the point now where it's just, uh, there's probably not anything. But I've also admitted, so maybe this will count. I've also admitted that maybe once or twice a year I become such an emotional train wreck and completely irrational that I'm an atheist for a day or two maybe, for a few hours. Yeah, I don't I think I don't think for a day or two. <laughs> I've been with you for six years or whatever, and I've I've never seen it at all. I'll give you maybe for a half hour before you realize that that's that. No, I said I said for a few hours uh, in my in the the dark night of the soul of Pritchett Prime that you know uh, no I, no I'm just saying that that's when I lean on Jesus the most. But no, I'm just saying. Uh, there are times uh, where I become a little bit emotional and then I become completely irrational uh, and th then I get over it. So unless I become an emotional, irrational train wreck for every day for the rest of my life, it is impossible for me to ever be convinced that God doesn't exist unless, unless somebody comes up with something that I haven't heard before that's not just a rephrasing of something I've heard a gazillion times that doesn't move me an inch. So I'm just saying I'm old. There's nothing that's really going to uh, persuade me, and I don't like it when I become emotional or irrational, which is why it only lasts a few hours, because I don't know how I could go through life that way. So I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to be an atheist, and people need to get over it. You There's know what I'm saying, that... too? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just saying there's nothing at this point that can convince me. I just There's just not. Only God knows what can convince me to stop believing in him. And I don't think that he's interested in that. And he would have to exist in order to show me what it would take, which means I can't be an atheist unless I become irrational. So I just <laughs> sorry. I'm just not. There's nothing. You're, don't try to convert me. I'm a waste of time. Right. But yeah, I, I want to just piggyback on that, because really, I think there's an important distinction that needs to be made between, say, somebody making like an unfalsifiable claim 
versus just making a claim that they, you know, have a strong, you know, confidence in. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think anybody here is making some sort of to, to affirm that God exists. That's not, you know, unfalsifiable. People try. People. Some people believe they have falsified. I mean, people make attempts all the time. It's just that I'm really confident in it. You know, that's that's just that's just really what it is. And I I think what people like Pine Creek and uh, this guy here are trying to do is take a backdoor approach to discredit, you know, Christian theists and say, well, you're just unreasonable. Regardless of what I say, regardless of what evidence is put on the table, you're going to believe anyway. And that might be true, but it's because we have positive evidence to affirm that God exists. You know, and even, you know, you know, going as you kind of articulated earlier, Braxton, with the um, the position of beyond evidence having grounds to affirm that God exists. I mean, there's a whole system of philosophy that's been developed to, you know, called performed epistemology that's very, you know, intricate and laid out. I mean, it's not something that just, oh, I'm just going to believe it because it feels good. No, there's a lot of, you know, philosophical weight behind this stuff. And I think that people right. like Pine Creek just don't seem to grasp it. I'm, I'm, I'm actually being nice by, I, 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 there's a lot of things I'd lo- love to chime in on in, ter- in terms of uh, Pine Creek, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try to be nice for now. But, uh, you know, just shout out to my boy, John McCray. I, I'm going to leave it at that. Well, I love Yeah, well, well I was going to say, when I, when I go on, when I go on Adam's show, we'll have all the fun we want to have on on, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. on Cedar well, Creek there. But no, I just want to close out this little thing by saying, look, um, like you said, our positive reasons are better than your reasons for not having belief. And we demonstrate that time and time and time and time again. So, you know, they're just not doing their job, I guess, because the, the, our positive reasons are way better than their reasons for, uh, you know, that, that's what I like, why William like Craig, the way he sets it up. There are not comparably good reasons to reject the existence of God. And he's absolutely right. They're right. just not. Right. Well, you, uh, and, I, and I've sincerely looked into this. I mean, it's not like I'm just, you know, like I, I just a couple years ago, like part of my story is I was really grappling with this stuff, man. I mean, I was like, well, man, you know, when it comes to, you know, was Jesus based on Horace or something like that? I mean, you know, what, what if they're right? What if these things are true? I mean, I've been a Christian all my life. What does this mean? You know, I've, I've been there. I've looked into these arguments and I've really tried to bring myself to say, well, man, like, you know, is, you know, evolution a viable solution to how life and rationality has come about? And I'm like, you know, no, nah, I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. You know, after really grappling with these things. I don't think they they can that the atheist perspective can give an account of reality and the human experience. It's just a fact of the matter. That's that, and that's where I'm at. Well, and and, and you know that you said something a minute ago the the internal uh, testimony thing with the reformed epistemology type of approach and things like that. I have said many times that even even in those moments where I've had doubts, which which is just I mean that's just a part of being human is doubting things. And some people do it more than others. And I'm one of those people that does it. And uh, but even in those times where I've tried to think what, you know, try to put on the clothes of my opposition and say, how would I view the world? What, what do I think? How would it change my thinking if I decided there was no God or whatever? Um, but there's always this like and, and maybe you know, when this clicked for me, when the reality of this clicked for me, and I wish it would for many, many more people. That in those moments, and I don't offer this as evidence to anybody who hasn't experienced it, okay? It would be anecdotal evidence, and I get that. This is just for me. And if you've experienced it, it's for you. And uh, it, it's that thing of with Craig of knowing versus showing. You know, it's by right. it's apologi- it's by the Holy Spirit that we know these things are true. It's by, through apologetics that we show it. But even when I try to put on those clothes of another worldview, I've, it's like there's this tapping on my shoulder like, yeah, but 
but I'm right here. Yeah, but I'm right here. It's like I, I, I get I know the sense that I'm being watched. And I completely understand that the atheist would hear that and say, well, that's just a psychological state. Um, that doesn't necessarily indicate anything about reality. And, and, and I get why you would say that. And I, and I understand all that, but for the person who experiences it, it's more than that. And I can't take myself seriously when I try to imagine what things would be like without it. Um, but anyway, let's, let's move on and let's see, uh, let's, let's see, uh, what about your pastor, man? You always agree with your pastor. Here's him at Meta on (laughs) pastors. Do you think it's a little strange when someone says they're going to believe in something no matter what, even when all the evidence seems to point in the other direction? What is something your pastor has said in church that you totally disagree with? And when that happened, did you confront your pastor about it, or did you just let it slide? Uh, Pritchett, your turn. You go first. Um, I have a... My pastor is a student, so he can't say anything that I disapprove of or he gets downgraded. So, no, I'm just kidding. Um, well, it is true that he's a student. There's a couple of questions there. Oh, like literally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Uh, and, and, you know, we Marco Polo back and forth all the time. And I, I, I don't have to correct my pastor. So that, that's good. I, I don't get these questions. Um, it, it, number one, if our pastor says anything, Anything that I disagree with is going to be on an th- issue of theology, and I don't care enough about that kind of stuff to go argue with him. Who cares? It's like a secondary, tertiary. Who cares? Um, the world doesn't have to agree with me. They can just be wrong. So I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that question because I, I don't care. Now, the, the little, the one before the pastor questions about um, what do you say if nobody's going to change their mind uh, no matter what? I say, okay, that's not for Christians. People becoming Christian is is you know the Holy Spirit has to convict them of of their sin. So um, it, people say all kinds of things. So so what? Um, if they said that to me, okay, I can kind of understand that because of the answers we just gave to the other question, all three of us. But that doesn't mean that they're going to forever be there. So I don't I don't know. Um, but as far as disagreeing with my pastor. Has he ever been to a Baptist church in his life? I, I'm thinking not, because people disagree with the pastors all the time, at least in Baptist yeah. churches. So, uh, so I don't know. I, I don't even see why that's a big deal. That's all I have to say about that. It's not an important question. Adam? Yeah, that was a weird question, too, actually. And, and, and yes, I guess the first part we, we kind of addressed anyway. But, I mean, it, it, this, this notion of somebody believing something and if, if all the evidence is contrary, well, I, I don't think that that's in all analogous to – Christians or Christianity. So you know, that, that question wouldn't faze me at all. But as far as my pastor is concerned, I, I mean, I can't think of anything that I, I felt like I would need to approach him on. But I mean, to be honest, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm involved in Bible studies with my, with my pastor, you know, where he, he meets with a, a group of folks who are being groomed for the ministry and stuff like that. It's a very open Bible study. If somebody has questions, I mean, I think he's actually relieved if somebody gives some pushback, you know, because that means that you're studying the word, you know, you, you're actually yeah. getting into the scriptures. And, you know, there's this trust level where you know I would never say anything to my pastor for the for the purpose of undercutting him or something like that. So I think if I came to him, I think he'd be I think he'd be cool with that. You know, um, with that being said, now I, now I don't want to read too much into the question, but I think in general, there's a misunderstanding of you know what the role of the pastor is like. The pastor isn't just somebody who stands up on Sunday and maybe Wednesday and gives some information and then goes home. A pastor is somebody who is 
caring for the sheep, you know, somebody who is involved in people's lives and, and, you know, counseling and doing any number of other sorts of things that go beyond just being in the pulpit, you know? So if for some reason, if I had some sort of theological disagree with my pastor or something like that, you know, that's not grounds to take action in some way to undermine his, his, his position because he's doing a billion other things that are of infinite value. And I just, you know, who am I to, to quibble with him over, you know, how many angels will fit on the, the head of a pen or something like that, right. you know, when he's doing all these other things. like you, So you had to put it in, in the context of not just, um, you know, the, the pulpit, but there's a much bigger role that pastors play or ought to at least ought to be playing. And yeah. um, I just don't think it, it's worth me, you know, squabbling in the parking lot with a pastor over something stupid, you know. Uh, right. Yeah. And if it. And if it was a serious theological disagreement, that one of the essentials of the faith, he wouldn't be your pastor anyway. I wouldn't have right. have a pastor that that jettisoned on on actual doctrine points that matter that are that would be heretical. So exactly, you know, exactly. Well, yeah. I you know, I mean, there, it, it's a real combative situation that that I think must be in mind here because for for people like the three of us. I'm sure that if you have a good relationship with your pastor, and I certainly know I'm this way with my pastor, and I know Pritchett would be, is if if we're sitting around drinking coffee or spending time together as, you know, in a, in a reasonably sized church, you, you should get to do that sort of thing with your pastor is is have some fellowship with your pastor, at least, you know, sometimes. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in the Bible and theology, you talk about that and you don't have to present your disagreements in some sort of an offensive way or fearful way. You know, you, right. It's just, hey, you know, Pastor, man, I love your preaching. And uh, two weeks ago, you said this. And I want to get your take on this because, I mean, I'm always learning. And, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron. What, what do you think about this? This is kind of how I always saw it. But, but you said this. You know, what do you think about that? And if he disagrees, we talk about the disagreement. And if we both still disagree, so what? Unless it's like Pritchett said, where it's actually a really big deal, like the virgin birth or something, or or the resurrection. Right. Okay, well yeah. then then we got bigger problems. But but I, I don't. I mean, I think he's perhaps he's imagining, and like you said, we can't read too much into a question. But perhaps he's imagining, and there are a few churches like this where you have this like lick my boot type leadership style, <laughs> where it's it's a hardcore. The pastor has total authority. You don't question the pastor. But you know what? Um, th those churches, I, I think, are fewer and fewer. And usually people in that church will rise up in, in, in any way and challenge that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I think we should have a respect for our pastor and the role that he has and the, the way that God has gifted him to minister. And there should be an admiration and a respect for what he's doing, and especially if he's doing it right, <laughs> um, uh, you know, in, in a really good way. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're beyond question, and 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 we should we should they're people and we're people, and they should be our they should be close to us. We should be able to have those kind of conversations and not be a big deal. Yeah, you know, to that point too. I mean, there's there's a power dynamic. Oh, let me put it this way: like the religious setting or the church setting is not the only setting in which there's like a power dynamic between individuals. You know, so you could say I could ask the question like if you disagree with your boss. On something like, you know, how would you approach them? I mean, you're probably not going to be flippant and disrespectful when you go to them. Or sure. what about your mom or a police officer? I mean, there's any number of different people that we can name where there's this power dynamic that you show respect. I mean, you know, and, and that person has 
you know, occupy some position that they they merit that kind of respect. It's the same thing with a pastor. I'm not just gonna, you know, disrespect the man, you know, to his face for, you know, for no good reason, you know. So I I just think that sometimes um, maybe they lose sight of that human element. They they feel like it's some sort of cult leader situation or something like that. But no, these are these are people interacting with one another in the same yeah. way that you would in other settings, you know. So yeah, and maybe it comes a bit from the fact that a lot of these atheists had bad interactions. Um, with church people or or at least um, religiously inclined figures in their lives, whether that's parents or, or friends or pastors or other church leaders. And maybe that, that spawns a question like, well, would you disagree with them? Because they're thinking I disagreed and now I'm not, you know, a Christian anymore. But it, but But it just feels to me like what he must have in mind is a combative sort of disagreement. And it just doesn't have to be that way. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, denominations. Let's see what he says here. Why are there so many Christian denominations? And are the people who are in those different denominations bad Christians? Are they wrong? Which denomination is right? Or which group of denominations is right? Pritchett, what, tell us which one should we go to? Which denomination One Life should we affiliate with? One Life Network in Evansville. Well, there you go. But it's a not yeah, it's a non-denomination church. I don't even these questions are uh, are they wrong? Yeah, if they don't agree with me, but I think Braxton's wrong, and Braxton thinks I'm wrong on certain things. Who cares? That's it. Who cares? That's all, yeah. That's all you got to say about that. Unless you, well. Except for those that we deem to be heretical cults that he may mix in as a denomination like the LDS. No, they're not a Christian denomination as far as we reckon them. Uh, same thing with Jehovah's Witnesses. We don't consider them another denomination. We consider those to be cults. So in the right. typical way of outlining things, now I know some people draw their circle smaller than me because some people want to exclude our Eastern Orthodox brothers and our Catholic brothers and sisters. But uh, sorry, I don't. Um, I mean, anyone who affirms one Bible, two Testaments, three creeds, four councils, and the first five cent- uh, centuries of Christian consensus, then yeah, everything this Christian oh. are they there's 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 wrong. In my opinion, they all got wrong ideas. Uh, and they all think I have wrong ideas. Right. I don't care. Except that cares. Agree, I'm right and you're wrong, Coleman. Uh, what do you no. have, What do you have to say about this? <laughs> I saw yeah. that. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I, like when people ask this question, I wonder like how sincere they really are. Like, do they really want to know the answer, or is it just kind of like an "I gotcha" moment? Because I mean, if you really want to know why there's so many denominations, I mean, for the most part, I mean, there's tons of Christian history out there where you can actually read through how this church started or you know how the Wesleyans got started, the Methodists or whoever, uh, the, the Reformation. I mean, you, you can read all about it. You know, it's, it's not like hidden per se. So if you want to get a sense of like how there are these uh, different denominations, I mean, for, you know, I, I think for the most part, that information's uh, readily available for people who just want to take the time to look it up. Um, but with that being said, I mean, the reality is, and I hope I'm not like overstretching this verse, but I mean, you know, not for right now, as, as Paul says, we see through a glass darkly. You know, none of us are infallible. None of us are inerrant. Um, the fact of the matter is, you know, we have disagreements over the, the proper way that, you know, this or that passage should be understood or this or that practice should go. But nevertheless, they, we, we are united by one blood, one faith, one baptism. You know, and so yeah. you can have 
unity without uniformity, you know what I'm saying, at the end of the day. And I think that's what you have where you get these different denominations. You know, like Richard said, I mean, Mormons and no, I mean, you know, they're not in the pale, Jehovah's Witnesses or what have you. Um, uh, Hebrew Israelites, you know, with regards to which strain Price, they are, you know, Christians, yeah, yeah, there you go, you know, I mean, <laughs> you, you go bucket. on and yeah. on. But when you're talking about the basics of the faith, you know, uh, you know Trinitarianism uh, and uh, uh, you know the resurrection things of that nature, uh, then yeah, I, you know, the divinity of Christ, and obviously those are going to be some some foundational points. And just because we disagree or you know practice you know Christianity separately in some sense, you know, um, that doesn't mean that I don't affirm somebody else as, as a Christian. Cause he acts like, are they bad Christians? I don't, I don't think, I don't think so. I, I don't think, I think you can be entirely mistaken about certain points of doctrine and be a great Christian, maybe better than me. I mean, what, you know, however that right. looks, I mean, we're all far from the, far from, from perfect and we're all in need of God's grace. So I'm not in any position to say just because, you know, you affirm, young earth and I'm an old earth guy or, or whatever it may be that you're a bad Christian. Uh, I mean, I, th I think that's just silly. And I, I don't think that, that we typically just in human interactions, we don't typically do each other like that, you know? So, right. you well, know. uh, Kit Ham thinks that you're a bad Christian because old earth creationism, <laughs> if you go to the, if you go to the creation museum, there's a little part at the end where you walk into what looks to be like uh, a post-apocalyptic scene or whatever and, right. and and old earth creationism leads to your daughter gets pregnant your son's on drugs and all of this <laughs> right, 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 it's right. it's really that i loved the whole thing till i got there and i was like this is ridiculous but i didn't hold it against the whole thing but uh, sure, sure. but i mean you know the question like you said all the information about the history denominations is out there but i can do one better uh, because you don't want to really ask that question a person because you could open a whole lot of uh worms that way where i can bore you to death with some of that history i can go even further take the southern baptist convention Leighton flowers is a southern baptist and al moeller is a southern baptist how much do they have in common on a lot of things mm. not much on a lot of uh secondary issues when it comes to so soteriology and whatever else so you know even within denominations you have differences but uh nobody is sitting around thinking well al moeller uh or or Leighton flowers are bad people like they do like bad things in private or whatever because <laughs> right, right. they believe certain things. Now they, I don't think Leighton Flowers does. I don't know what Al Mohler does. Leighton Flowers, um, he doesn't do anything but talk about Calvinism when he's not working for me or working for the Texas Baptist. So <laughs> I don't think he has any time to get into trouble. But uh, who knows what Al Mohler does? But I mean, people within denominations disagree. So it's that's it, it, not that's not a that shouldn't give anyone reason to think anything about Christianity just because because atheists like to do this. Why are there so many denominations? Why are there so many different interpretations of the Bible? They do that to say because they all can't be right. None of them are right. That that doesn't follow at all. And right. it, so you've got to we've got to start stop letting uh, we got to get the word out there that those kind of questions you shouldn't take seriously. Uh, but what you should do is you try, should try to make them regret asking by giving them a boring history lesson. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know, one, of the, one of the things that I've been grateful for working at a non-denominational school and going to a non-denominational church, although I have to say I came to this long before going to a non-denominational church, but is I, I was raised and my parents and, and the church leaders never, I don't think, intended to give me this impression. But, but this is the impression that I got growing up in the church is that, you know, the thing about it is there, there are these other denominations like the Methodists and the Presbyterians and all the, 
And you know what? They're, they're Christians. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're saved. But, you know, they're, they're weirdos. And you need to know that. <laughs> um, that, that you don't want to do that. Yeah. You don't want to ever switch over to anything like that. Because they're, they're, not, they're not going to hell. But one of the things that's happened to me um, as, as I've gotten older is I've realized that, number one, what, what Adam said was so true, which is there are people who I am very confident are wrong on particular doctrinal issues who I will tell you are, as far as I can tell, godlier people than I am. And, um, and, and, and certainly are not in any sense lost. Wrongness does not equal lostness on every issue. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, again, we, we get into a lot of preaching when we when we do these response videos. As a that's good, man. Um, that's good. All right. So, uh, all right. Natural evil. Let's hear what he has to say. Who or what do you think is responsible for natural disasters like earthquakes or tsunamis? Uh, who wants to go? I already hmm. answered natural evil question in another video, so y'all take it. Man, you know, it's I mean, I understand, you know, why the question gets asked. And I guess it's, it's pretty timely, given that, you know, right now we're, we're sitting through this this pandemic. Yeah, you were on day uh, talking about this, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, about a week and a half ago, you know, me and David, we were chopping up about the problem of evil and kind of how that, you know, intersects with uh, the coronavirus pandemic and that kind of stuff. And um, again, you know, one question, actually, I, I get this from J.P. Moreland, really, is just that, you know, when people ask these kind of questions, I want to kind of reflect back, like, well, who have you read on the subject? You know, like, like what materials have you engaged? Have you engaged some of the best material from our side of the fence on the question that you're asking? And, you know, generally the question is no. Uh, but in terms of who's responsible for, um, you know, natural evil in the world, I, I believe that the scripture is pretty clear that, that man is. I, I, I believe that the world is in a state. Uh, that, you know, it ought not to be. And I think we all know that. I don't, I don't think there's, you know, uh, any question about that. Atheists or otherwise, we see suffering in the world, we see evil in the world. And when we look at the, the broad picture of uh, the biblical worldview, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, mankind is out of step with, with God's will and, and has been since the garden. And uh, one, you know, one thing I brought up in the, actually, you mentioned that interview with, uh, with David Wood. For whatever reason, I think um, most atheists, they, they will sometimes, well, I, was, I won't say most, but sometimes they'll begrudgingly grant the free will rebuttal to the problem of evil with respect to moral evil. Like, okay, people have free will, they can, you know, punch people in the face or, you know, whatever it may be. I, okay, I get that. But they don't understand how the free will uh, rebuttal relates to natural evil. Okay, well, what about all this stuff where you don't have a human agent, you know, behind you know, the coronavirus or, or, well, actually some of my conspiracy theorist friends would say that you do, but, you know, let's, let's just say that that's not the case, you know, uh, tsunamis or whatever. And I think it's because there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the biblical worldview with respect to what mankind is. You know, we were made in the image of God, right? And we throw that term around a lot, obviously true ID, the real you and my day, you know, that's, that's like my thing. Um, but we throw this notion of the image of God around a lot, but I think most people don't really uh, contemplate the depths of what it is. Like, there, and there's a lot that I can say about it, but one component of it is we're supposed to be God's representatives stewarding the earth, right? And so to some extent, you know, our stewardship of this, you know, physical or earthly realm, you know, has a lot to do with how things go down here. And the reality is, is we screwed up. You know, we screwed, we just botched our stewardship 
And as a result, you know, you have brokenness in the world. You know what I'm saying, but I so I would I would tie uh, natural evil to this stewardship of the of the of the natural realm. I mean, this that's the space that we're supposed to occupy, and you know, we we just uh, fell asleep at the wheel. Yeah, and 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 I think that's beautiful. And in case someone wants to say, well, okay, that's fine for someone who believes in a young Earth or something. Um, th- that I think that works on an old earth model. Um, and I'm not a theistic evolutionist, but I think you could adapt it to, um, Michael Jones sort of model. And, and, and the way I would do it as, as, as an old earther would be to say, look, th- let, let's say that, um, some of these natural disaster type things are necessary for whatever reason that God knows that, that even our geologists and people are understanding now, you know, in terms of, of the function of the planets, the function of our earth the moving of disks and these kind of things. It's just, it's just a part of what it means to have a workable world. Um, if that's the mm-hmm. case, it doesn't mean that man ever had to experience the evil and, and suffering that would have come from those things because uh, if man had not rebelled, then uh, he could have remained in the garden and perhaps this never happens in the garden. Or if perhaps God wanted to allow them to explore the world and, and, and populate the world, so long as they had stayed in that uh, face-to-face sort of walking in the garden type relationship with God, God could literally guide them and uh, be their king in the sense that he wanted Israel to, to let him be their king and, um, and, and, and never encounter those things. You know, mm-hmm. I, th- I think mm-hmm. that's a live possibility. This is one of those situations, and someone said in the, in the chat on the last episode, said, well, this is just theological speculation 101. Yeah, darn right. Because the thing about it is, what we're doing in an episode like this is not coming up with theistic arguments and resurrection cases to try and show you that Christianity is true. We're listening to what are veiled criticisms and challenges to the Christian faith, an attempt to say, if Christianity were true, we wouldn't expect this to happen. And we're saying, well, hold up. If you want to say that, we're just giving you a response that seems to be in line with what is permissible in Scripture that seems like it would make sense of that. So yeah, I'm mm-hmm. speculating in a sense, but it's a reasonable speculation. Uh, and your point doesn't doesn't follow through. So, um, but I, I think you could even adapt what you said, Adam. The natural evil, the moral evil, all of it is ultimately because of the sin of man. Yeah, and like I, agree, I yeah. and like I explained in the previous video, if you care about the environment and you and you believe in climate change, then you've already granted the premise that human actions can impact environmental factors, so that you don't have a complaint mm. anymore. But you can hear me unpack that more in the last time he asked this question in a different way. I think it was the in first video. Or is it second? Yeah, now, speaking first. of speculation, actually, you, mentioned, you know, and, and I'm just going to throw this out. You know, so. Break it uh, down. Oh, well, it's, it's not much of a break. I'm just kind of throwing out this idea, right? So, in terms of natural disasters, now there is this phenomenon where, say, if there's like going to be like a tsunami or some sort of earthquake or something like that, you often see like droves of animals moving away from the area that's going to be impacted. And to my knowledge, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, I don't think that there's anybody who really has an answer for for why. Like nobody really knows how they can have this sense, you know, that something is going to occur, you know. But I'm just kind of throwing it out there. I mean, to your point, it could be the case that let's say that earthquakes and, and for whatever reason, you know, in terms of making the earth work the way it ought to, let's say that it was a part of you know original creation. It could very well be, you know, that God could. Um, you know, have given man some mechanism of detecting, you know, when these kinds of things would, would occur 
and thus not be, you know, where where these um, events would happen. Now that sure. that's too, that's super speculative, but I'm just I'm just throwing it out there but that that's a possibility. But, but, you know, it's like yeah. Jerry Wall said when he was on uh, Cameron's show that uh, they were talking about heaven and the criticisms that people have of heaven. And he says, I just think people aren't using their imagination. Like there's easy ways to explain uh, what you, the, how to get around the, the problem that, you, that you're presenting. Um, and again, you say, well, it's imaginative. Yeah, like your whole religion. I, I, I've listened to these atheists so much. I, I know what, what they're going to say. But the thing yeah, about right. it is, again, we're, we're, looking, we're, we're presenting what are plausible defeaters here. Um, now we're not we're not looking for pinholes, any little way to escape the force of it. But we're looking for plausible defeaters here, and they're easy to to locate if you if you take this stuff to be true and and think about it. It's amazing to me that when we're talking about science or or something like that, chemistry, uh, physics, you know, sometimes the explanations for why a particular thing seems to move as a wave and a particle and all that, you know, and then superposition with quantum physics and all this, it's like. The explanation is really, really complex and convoluted. But with God, it all has to be super simple or else you're just you're (laughs) you guys are just making it up. You know, Mm -hmm. anyway. All right. uh, Are you guys done with that one? You want to move on? Yes. All right. The 10 the 10 commandments. Now, this is the 10 commandments. Get ready. Can you pause the video right now and tell me what the Ten Commandments are? And if you know them, and good for you if you do, why do so many Christians believe that the first four of them belong on government property and in the classrooms? Would you feel comfortable saying the Pledge of Allegiance in class every day if the words were one nation under no God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all? Okay, um... (laughs) Can you guys say the Ten Commandments? On a good day. <laughs> yeah, you, I, I hope so. Yeah, I was afraid this question was going to come. I was like, man, I don't know if I could or not. I, like, I probably, probably. You know, I, I we, I we used, to, used to have that thing in uh, like Sunday school where uh, it's like, one, you shall have no other gods before me. Two right. is idolatry. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, two, you shall make no gods, right? Yeah, but but the I and the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt in the land of slavery for some people in some way in Jew, Jewish constructions, uh, twenty verse one. I remember seeing a whole chart on this how the different ways they're they're uh, constructed. Not everyone breaks the ten down in the same way, especially when you get down mm-hmm. into the coveting uh, stuff about. Right. The neighbors, why do the covenant go together as one or as two? So it's really weird, actually, how the the, the various broken up. Uh, as far I think all ten should be on public property. I would have a problem saying under no God, um, because we've seen regimes that they don't put that in their pledges, but they live as if that's so, and they're horrific. So I think atheists should have a problem living in regimes that would uh, want to be under no God. Uh, atheism can thrive in places like the United States where Christians wanted to give them the rights to. So uh, I would have a problem and not, not simply for uttering the words that I don't believe, because in this country, you don't have to say the Pledge of Allegiance. So it's not a complaint at all. You don't have to get hot and bothered about Ten Commandments on a uh, public uh, courthouse. You don't have to get upset that you have in God, we trust on a dollar bill. You just want to be for reasons that escape me. Uh, but I understand what he's saying. Would you like to say that? Well, uh, no, I wouldn't. And so if that was in our pledge and I had the rights to not have to say it, 
then I wouldn't say it. So don't say one nation under God if you don't want to. Um, nobody makes you do it. People who lead Congress have omitted those two words while they were leading the Pledge of Allegiance, and it makes the news. I get it, and people howl and scream on both sides. So what, as far as I'm concerned? Uh, but I would definitely not want to live in a nation that um, was consistent with their godless worldview because that tends to end badly for a lot of people. Yeah, I, th I think that's the key word is worldview. Um, the reality is you can't have a, a I'm probably going to stumble over saying this, but you can't have a worldviewless public square. You know, somebody's worldview is going to be active and dominant in the public square, uh, whether it be within the realm of politics, um, economics, law, what have you. You know, worldviews are going to play out as we interact with one another and construct societies and those kinds of things. So, you know, really, you know, um, ethics and morality, those things are going to be downstream, if you will, um, from metaphysics. You know, the ultimate questions about, you know, God, what he's like and those kind of things, those are metaphysical questions that you know certainly have an impact on how things trickle out in terms of ethics and politics and so forth. So yeah, in terms of why do Christians want uh, the Ten Commandments posted up in public places? Because they believe that uh, th those things matter. That the biblical worldview has something to say about how we interact with one another. Now I'm not necessarily saying that it should or shouldn't. I'm just saying that in terms of what might be somebody's motivation for um, wanting something like that posted in the public square, that would be that would probably be why. Uh, and, and actually, I would argue, too, it's the same reason why, you know, or the similar reason as to why somebody like him wouldn't want those things posted in the public square, because they believe he believes that for some reason it ought not to be. That's part of his worldview. Yeah. And, then and so I think people, should... there's some people who would say, look, man, uh, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So, uh, you know, we, we want that stuff up. So we'll have a blessed nation. We want more people believing in God. Um, but, you know, to my mind, I like the... I, Obviously, because I believe it's true and I like the idea of people believing true things, I, I want it everywhere I can get it. But it, it doesn't it's it's not like it hurts our Christianity if it if it goes away. You know, I mean, it's right. it's it's not like it uh, ends anything. But let's um let's see. Here. Oh, hang on. Hang on, hang on. Too, I, it might be controversial. I just want to kind of get just throw this in there. And I, I don't I'm, it might stir the pot. And I know that, you know, I don't want to, you know, take it take us too far afield. But. Having the biblical worldview woven in a society really matters. You know saying like when you, when you don't when you have a society that where that worldview is absent, things go really bad. And I'm thinking about, for example, like with slavery, for example. Mm -hmm. you, know, un, you know, like unfortunately, America has a really you know heinous history with slavery and so forth, as do you know many countries or whatever. But in this particular country, you had statements like "all men are created equal." woven into the fabric of the foundations of this country, you know? And so the reality is when you look at the history of it, and I don't have time to get into it all now, shameless plug, people can check out the True ID podcast for more. But, you know, the reality is uh, when you think about the abolitionists, I'm thinking about guys like uh, Frederick Douglass, I'm thinking about uh, Henry Highland Garnett, um, even in individuals like, you know, later on with civil rights, like Marcus Garvey, and Martin Luther King, any, you know, m much of these, many of these folks were arguing from a biblical worldview. You know what I'm saying? They were literally employing scripture, you know what I'm saying, and the concept of the image of God explicitly using those terms in their argumentation against slavery, for civil rights, and so forth. And they were largely successful because the, the concepts that they were putting on the table were present in the larger society and gave them like a, a common ground 
with which they could argue uh, for freedom, equality, and so on and so forth. And so having biblically-based ideas, having um, the right ideas, you know, basically ideas that reflect the world as it actually is, having those things apparent and present in a society matters a lot. And I think we see that in our own history in terms of, you know, uh, some of the freedom movements like I named, being able to employ the biblical worldview in a context where these ideas were present and thus get, being able to gain traction towards freedom, justice, and so forth. It's a really good yeah. point because, um, you know, I, I really do believe it's true that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I think that uh, it doesn't mean that we're not ever going to experience bad things because of uh, groups or individuals within it. Um, but but that's a, what you just cited is a very obvious case. And if, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, we are, we are living in an America, and, and not everyone watching this is in America, but we are living yeah. in a Western world, let's say, that is becoming increasingly hostile to Christian values, even if in name there are still people who are uh, claiming the name of Christ, but are the, the, have become so liberal on certain issues. And I don't mean liberal necessarily in the political sense, although sometimes there is an overlap there. But I mean liberal sure. in the in the theological sense and, and in terms of what they will allow morally. Um, it, it, even even some people claiming the name of Christ are, are doing that, and, and it's it's becoming more and more that way all the time. And unfortunately, we're going to have to. We're, it may be that what and I don't want to be one of these like doomsday type guys, but what it may mean is that we do lose some of that DNA in our culture. We we do see some of that stripped away, and. Uh, Fighting for it to be there for the reasons you just described are very important and and maybe uh, sober my mind hearing you talk about it. Um, and we need to also be prepared that this may continue. And if it does, we still got to be the church and we still got to uh, to be a light in the midst of the darkness. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I want to say in back home in Little Rock now, they put a because they were, we're going to remove the. Ten Commandments or something. There's a there's a statue of Satan on the uh, grounds of the Capitol, or at least there was for a little while. I don't know if it's still there or not, uh, but I remember seeing pictures of it. Now, Christians care about and and Jews care about the Ten Commandments. Atheists don't give a hoot about that statue. They do it to troll mm -hmm. because they can, uh, which is also a worldview statement. But it it makes an important point about the difference in the way we think about these kind of things. The atheists did that just to irritate Christians, not because they put any, you know, uh, they can wax all they want to about, well, this is a symbol of independent thinking and all of this. No, it's not. You're just trolling. But see, the very people, whether you want, whether we're a post-Christian nation or not, this Christian, this, this country had a lot of uh, Christianity in its history. Its Judeo-Christian <laughs> roots are there. Now, you can't keep kicking the pillars out of Christianity and expect to have the same level of moral uh, consistency in the culture that it had when it had those Christian pillars underneath it. And even our atheist friends, their freedom to be atheists, right, that came from a Judeo-Christian context that they could have the, the religious freedoms that they want, and that even the overwhelming Christian and some Deist founding fathers did they wanted the uh, they wanted the exception clause. You know, Congress will make uh, no law respecting the establishment uh, of religion, 
and then there's the other part about the free exercise thereof. But no stat, no state religion. That that was a Christian idea, which means that yeah. you can have you can be irreligious too. But if you kick out the, what makes you guarantee that your ideas can stand in a free society like this? Because we have seen in atheistic regimes, whether they say that was not atheism, that's why Matt Dillahunty always wants to say not atheism, humanism, because he knows he doesn't want to get in the trap of the, the atheist. So we have to dismiss this idea that atheism is the path to enlightenment and utopia because history has completely debunked that idea by lots. So uh, atheists need to pick where they want to troll because, and they need to, and some atheists are coming around to say that Christianity is a good idea and that there's, they're glad that there's a lot of Christians still around because there are consequences for kicking out the Christian underpinnings, kicking out those Christ, Judeo-Christian pillars out of a society where the worldview completely changes because it may not be favorable to that particular enlightened atheist, utopian, uh, hopeful uh, that that their humanistic ideals will be the ones that win out when you kick out the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, worldview. So. Yeah, I think, speaking of humanism, I think they they may even have a nomenclature problem now when you think about it, because you know when it comes down to the, at least with the argument you know about abortion, you know you have uh, many atheistic person you know folks who are quick to make the issue about personhood, not about being a human. It's like it's not even enough to be a human anymore. You know you've got to be mm. you got to qualify as a person to have certain. Uh, you know, capabilities and so forth to to merit having rights and things of that nature, you know, and it just, it, I mean, I just say, said that to say how a firm foundation breaks down, you know, when you remove the biblical worldview. I think, you know, once you take that out of the picture, I can, you know, it can, it can look real bad. I mean, you know, pr pretty much whoever uh, has the power, you know, they're, they're in a much better position to bring about, you know, uh, whatever um, you know, their agenda is than you are. So, yeah, and it, it, gets, it tends to be how it works out, you know. And it gets it gets worse for them if they're if they're not theists and they're not substance dualists because now you're just talking about when you talk about personhood, what are you talking about? Because you're not talking about a soul. What you are is talking about you like these bits of matter better than those bits of matter, right? And right. you're arbitrarily defining personhood by something that, unless you borrow from Christian metaphysics, all you're talking about is that dust in the blender as opposed to this dust in the blender, and that you can't you can't have a foundation there so it all it all leads to a ditch so they should thank god the ten commandments and stuff like that are on public property all right guys uh two questions <laughs> two questions left okay uh let's let's hear let's hear this one do you think it's just a coincidence that different religions are popular in different parts of the world? Do you believe that if you were born in Saudi Arabia, you would be a Muslim rather than a Christian? Is it possible that religion has less to do with what's true and more to do with the circumstances of where and when you were born? Uh, question number one, um, is it a matter of, uh, let's see. Let me hear it again. I got no, don't you don't have to. Let me spare you that. <laughs> it, it, the, well, number one, that was more than two questions. That was several. There were three. Uh, three questions. Yeah, you just play them again. Number, oh, God. Do you think it's just a coincidence that different religions are popular in different parts of the world? Do you believe that if you were born in Saudi Arabia, you would be a Muslim rather than a Christian? Is it possible that religion has less to do with what's true? Okay, is it a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. It's a part of human civilization and how it developed in different places and had different beliefs and things like that. 
Um, it, uh, would I be, a, say, a Muslim if I was born in a Muslim country? Maybe. I, I mean, I at least probably would have been at some point. Um, is it is it that it's less about what's true and more about geography? That that is too ambiguous to answer. That that is a subjective question. For some people, yeah, probably. Um, for me, it's about what's true, and that's certainly true for people. For certain people from every religion. So uh, the, this should be turned back on Meta to say, Meta, does anything that you just said have any impact on what is actually true? And right, it, genetic genetic fallacy much yeah, yeah. Um, well it's not all, a genetic fallacy that. technically because he didn't argue anything he's just asking questions and they're no arguments, but, but but the but the but the underwriting argument behind those questions right. will inevitably result in a genetic fallacy and by the way because he's asking about the truth yeah it, well irrelevant it, all of that is irrelevant because oh. all those questions are utterly meaningless and irrelevant so um that that I have nothing else to add. Well, uh, Adam. if you have if you have a bunch of Easter eggs out, and some evil parent only put candy in one of the Easter eggs, and there were dozens and dozens of Easter eggs hidden in the backyard, and I happen to run toward one, and Adam runs toward another, and Jonathan runs toward another, and the one I run toward happens to have the 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 right thing in it, even if I did just happen to get there based on geography and where I happen to run. It still happens to be the legitimate Easter egg that has the thing in it. So, like, right. the, I, I chide Christians who aren't willing to make a defense and don't have any interest in apologetics and only seem, they, I just believe this because what I was raised to believe. Okay, well, it, it's a darn good thing that what you happen to believe happens to be the right Easter egg, right? <laughs> uh, but, but, the, yeah. but, but either way, an Easter egg might have something in it even if the other ones spread geographically over the yard, may not have anything in them. Adam right, Coleman. Right. right. Well, yeah, yeah, I so, don't, oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't have middle knowledge like God does, so I have no idea if I was born in Iran, if I would be a Muslim or not, neither does he. Just, you know, you can't make those kind of assumptions anyway. You can make probabilities, but I don't know for sure, so who cares? Exactly, exactly. And actually, I'm, I'm going to go back to something you said, Braxton, about like uh, flipping the questions back on him with his first question about, um, oh, man, how, how do you phrase it? He was he was saying that um, it is a happy coincidence that, you know, these or is it a coincidence that these religions popped up in different places? Uh, well, if atheism is true and all there is in the natural world, then yes, it is a happy coincidence. It's just, everything is a coincidence, as a matter of fact. You know, everything is just kind of flopping together by chance. You know, So in his worldview, I mean, he would have to answer yes. And if he thinks that that's somehow ridiculous, then maybe he should rethink his own worldview, right? right. Um, now, from a Christian standpoint, you know, I believe that, um, not to get too deep into it, but you know, God created mankind with capacities to interact with one another, to form communities, to form nations, and so forth. And so in the process of doing that, you're going to have these shared ideas. And so if I'm with a group of people and we have these shared ideas and you get with a separate group of people and they have different ideas, then yeah, they're going to be prominent ideas that develop where I am that don't develop where you are. And they may be religious, you know, custom, you know, it could be a system of economics and mathematics or whatever, you know, different ideas are going to develop in different places. You know, that's just, that's the way that we're made. You know, nevertheless, I do believe and have good reason to affirm that there is a transcendent truth that permeates all of you know reality and human experience and wherever you are. You know what I'm saying? If you've come in contact with this truth, then, you know, 
you're not irrational for believing for believing the truth, <laughs> regardless of where you were born or how you came about this information. Or how you, can, you know, to be more specific, you know, the gospel, regardless of how you've come to engage it. I'm saying it is the truth, and you're not, you know, wrong for, for believing. That's just like that that Easter egg you were talking about. And I, I forgot the last part of his question, but I mean, ultimately, I, I do think that it kind of boils down to this, you know, genetic fallacy, you know, type of a deal. And um, oh, oh, yeah, he was saying something about. Um, it's actually kind of switch. He said, "Does that mean that religion, or I guess something about is it more about is it more on, is it more about geography? Is it really about truth, or is it more about geography? Is basically." Wait. Yeah, I mean, why couldn't it be just different people, you know, seeking truth or grappling with truth in different geographical areas? Like, why does it have to be somehow mutually exclusive? You know, and I, I just think it was, I just thought, thought the question was kind of odd how he framed oh, it. But a lot of odd questions in this list. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, you know, either way, uh, as a Christian, it, it doesn't faze me at all. The reason why I'm a Christian is because it's true. And I have good reason to affirm that it's true. It's just that simple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and nobody... Nobody in America has to be a Christian anymore for for whatever sort of social reasons. That 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 at least that much of our culture is post post Christian. If you don't want to be a Christian, you don't have to be one. People, right. the people who are still Christians in this climate are not doing it because mommy and daddy told them to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when young people are are leaving the church. It, it, nobody's a Christian just because you know they live in America anymore. That's and no one has to be. Well, I mean, then what do you do with the flip side of that, too, right? I mean, like with, with Christians in China, uh, you know, Egypt, where right. you might get, you know, killed or any, anywhere over there in the Middle East where you might be killed for being Christian. Um, I, I know I've, I've personally met individuals, you know, from different parts of uh, Africa, you know, parts of West Africa and, and Egypt specifically, who you know had to leave their homes because they professed to be Christians and it just wasn't safe for them there. And yet you still see Christianity flourishing in, in these kinds of areas. Like, so... You know, where where do those folks fit in this framework, you know, where you have people who are actually affirming Christianity counter to uh, the geographical you know, lens that he's looking at it through? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, really, really good point. All right. Uh, this is the last question. And we've gone an hour and 30 minutes now. So this is the longest episode, but I think it's been a good one. And this is the last question of him at Meta's 78 questions. Or I should say, it's the last group of questions, last subject. So here it goes. Do you believe childbirth is an example of a miracle? Does that mean Hitler was once a miracle baby? And if childbirth is a miracle, how come that miracle happens thousands and thousands of times every week? (laughs) Richard? That's how he wanted to end 78 questions. I would have thought of... A few more so that my last few questions weren't that dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like, so I, I uh, used to do gospel rap back in the day. And like, Me like too. Um, there you go. That's what's up. You see, we got to do something now, man. We got to make Uh-oh. it happen. So, um, terrible. Like rule of thumb. So you can relate to this, actually. So a rule of thumb is when you have a, a song with a bunch of different guys on it, like a cypher track, generally you're going to put your strongest rapper as the last verse. So you want to end with a bang. You know what oh. I'm saying? And so, so that's kind of how I think of like this list of questions. I mean, he has 78 questions to just wow us and, and destroy our faith. And he ends out with, I think, from what I've seen, it seemed like the, the, the least impressive of, of the whole 78. I'm I mean, like, to my mind, those could have been the best questions. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I wasn't that blown away with, with any of these questions. No offense to him at Meta. You know, he was recently 
on Jeopardy. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, no. no, actually, I, I saw uh, yeah a, a video of that. I didn't actually watch it. I wasn't sure if that was uh, his own Jeopardy where he was just you know. Oh, I think he was on Jeopardy. Again, or... Oh, interesting. Wow. Well, I hope he did better than you know. <laughs> I hope he did better with his questions than he did here with these seventy eight man. Or, you know, maybe some of these came up you know in, in the, uh, the Daily Double or something like that. Like, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. Well, you know, here's a good. This is actually a good question. You know, obviously, every new mother. No, it father, isn't. No, it. Don't try to say. <laughs> no, it. no, the question. No, no, the question I'm about to pose oh. is going to be a, a more articulate uh, version of what he asked. I, I think um, every new mother and every new father who are Christians will say, uh, "Oh, it's it's a miracle of childbirth." You know, this was a miracle. And even in our, even among our uh, group, you know, we define people define miracles differently. If you want to define miracle as uh, some people say it's a violation of nature, I, I agree with Alvin Plantinga. I don't think it should be said like that. It should be because uh, God's not violating the creation that He created. If He comes in, it's not a violation. If He acts, it, it is an intervention in some sense. I mean, I've got a I've got a coffee cup here. If I drop it. Nature is causing it to fall to the earth. But if I stick out my hand and intervene in that natural order of things, uh, I, I've intervened. Right. So if 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 we define a miracle as as a divine intervention in nature, um, then perhaps uh, there's it's not technically a miracle in that sense, because it's it's the outflowing of what was a miracle, which is God's creation of animals and plants and humans to reproduce after their own kind. And that initial creation event was a miracle. But in, a, in another sense, it, there is something miraculous if we, if we are substance dualists. And I haven't talked enough with you, Adam, to know whether you believe in the existence of the immaterial soul. But I do, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. well, I would think. And so uh, we three are substance dualists. We believe we have a physical body and an immaterial soul. And depending on your uh, particular approach to how the soul comes to be instantiated in the body, if you believe it's a, in what's called creationism and not the, not not in the sense of, of Genesis one creationism, but creationism is also a term that uh, substance dualist uh, one of the views that substance dualists hold for how the soul comes to be instantiated in the body. If God simply creates a soul in a body, then that would be miraculous, and in that sense, every instance of conception uh, would be an instance of the miraculous, just not in the way that him at Meta might think. And so that would be interesting to, to note. However, if I had to say, as my wife reminds me, I did, apparently I told my wife when, when she got pregnant with both of our daughters, it's not technically a miracle. And that really bothered her and took some of the awe out of the situation for her. Uh, but I was like, no, but it's the outflowing of a miracle. Um, so, so I think there is a chance, depending on how we understand the instantiation of the soul, that it is a miracle in exactly the sense that Hemet Meta wants to talk about. But even if it's not a miracle in that sense, uh, the whole system is a miracle. And in any case, it poses absolutely no threat to Christianity. Right. <laughs> Man, that's... What a, that's a heartbreaking story, honey. I'm sorry, our daughter's just not a miracle. <laughs> yeah. Wow, she's nothing special. <laughs> I thought you no, were about I, to say, "Man, that was a well thought out and a reasoned response." No, I told you not to give it the dignity of that. Um, no, but I, I'm a I'm an instant creationist. I'm not a traducianist uh, at all. Uh, so yeah, in that sense, yeah, there's something. Um, 
there's a there's a immaterial immaterial uh, supervening there that happens into by God. So yeah, in that sense, sure. Um, but I, I don't I actually don't have a problem. Even every human being bears the image of God. Some people make a, a worse wreck of it than others. Okay, so he evoked Hitler, right? I thought, you know, I thought that, that that was not I thought that was like a trope that nobody did anymore that we weren't supposed to. But I'm, I'm glad it's still around because I, I do I it all too. the time. Yeah. Yeah. So good. But but I mean, you're the one person that taught me that you test your hypotheses at the fringes. And Hitler yes. is a fringe that you can test right. stuff with. True. And Hitler was still made in the image of God. Yep. And that's the end of the things of good things you could ever say about the man. He wasn't even a good artist, but you know, in his youth, I mean, he's just terrible all the way around at everything he did. So, but he was still made in the image of God, and uh, I'll give him that. You know, and actually, I think about it, I, I feel like there's a um, like a, a sleight of hand, like an equivocation going on with that second question uh, about Hitler being a miracle baby, because. You know, Braxton, you're right. I mean, if we're, if we're talking about just a hard definition of what a miracle is, and you can say something like some sort of supernatural intervening in the world to bring about, you know, something that otherwise wouldn't have been or something like that, you know, but then when he talks about, you know, Hitler was a miracle baby, that use of the, of the word miracle is more colloquial. I mean, it's, it's more kind of like just something that's spectacular that happened. You know, which is very different from the way in which it seems that he meant to use it in, in, the, in the previous question. So I, th I think, the, you know, it's, I mean, I don't even know how aware he is of it, but e either he was, it was really clever sleight of hand or he just botched it and yeah. just was equivocating. So I'll, I'll try that's, to be. That's what happened. That's, yeah, I'm, I suspect it's probably. Well, but that's a happened. good point because that is the, the, despite Pritchett's chiding of me, the colloquial meaning of it is what my wife and countless mothers and fathers mean when they say it. They just never th probably think about the next layer down. Well, but is it technically a miracle? Because that's what, you know, boring people like us talk about, right? That's, a, that's yes. the, right? And, and never write just spoil it for everybody yeah. else. Right, yeah. And, and don't write Hallmark cards, please, Braxton. Keep yeah. your day job. Oh, that we would be so awesome. They would love my line of Hallmark <laughs> cards where we talk about the philosophical I'd write them no, for the atheist right. too. I'd be like, "Sweetheart, on Valentine's Jose, I just want you to know, I, I, I serotonin and dopamine you greatly." <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but look, uh, in if, if we go with that non-traducian creationist sense of the soul instantiation, and that is a miracle, then guess what? Like it or not, Hitler was a miracle, just like anyone else is a miracle. But you said a moment ago, I'll give him this, Pritchett. Um, he's made in the image of God, and that's about all I can say for him, but I'll give him that. And notice, the thing that you're giving him there is really something you're giving God, because Hitler had no control over his being made in the image of God. And, that's right. Uh, and uh, what, what Hitler had control over was his libertarian freedom that he used to the destruction of six million Jews and uh, was one of the worst humans ever to exist. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, now I think about it, even on that third question, so it, it seems that he's... Um, what was the third kind of making a hard connection between frequency, the frequency of an event and whether or not it's a miracle? You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, when you, when you think about it, that's not necessarily true. Like if you take a miracle to be, you know, God intervening in the world. Now, yeah, we, we would, I think most people would say that it's probably something that's pretty infrequent. And, and even Christians would say that as well. 
But let's just say that, you know, that, that view of the soul is the case where you have the special creation of every soul. Then just because that's not um, infrequent doesn't mean that God is not you know intervening in those instances. And it's not a, a miracle right. uh, by that definition. And then the other side of it is, too, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, you know, a, a, a doctor or whatever, but my understanding is that the the number of, of pregnancies that actually do occur pale in comparison to the number of uh, you know attempts at conception that don't you know go forth and right. or uh, uh, miscarriages and so on. And so actually, you know, actual pregnancies as frequent as they are are probably you know less frequent than the alternatives. And so actually, yeah. even in that case, you know, you do have a situation where. You can say that, yeah. I mean, the, these births are miracles. You know, yeah, and, and, and in boom. Fact, what now, Meta? Yeah, you got yeah. Coleman. <laughs> and there are. I, I've heard countless uh, stories of uh, of couples in, in various churches everywhere who have had, uh, uh, like I've had. You know, my wife had a miscarriage. We talked about Adam earlier. Uh, th- these things happen. To some people, it happens repeatedly to where you. Whether you want to call it a miracle or not, there is just out of, out of um, whatever uh, overflow of God's grace, there have been people who tried and tried and tried. And then finally, um, it's as if all the prayer effort, uh, you know, all of that led to to a divine intervention to where God yeah. opened a womb because God yeah. opens the wombs all the time in Scripture that we read about. God does open wombs. Uh, for people that were previously closed. So I don't know if we want to call that a miracle like a resurrection miracle or creation ex nihilo or parting the Red Sea or whatever. Whatever, it's definitely it's definitely divine intervention into the world. And I'm, I'm happy you call it a miracle or not. But there are there are people who have been in those situations where they'll tell you that they did have a miracle baby yeah. in the supernatural sense. And I'm I'm cool with that, too. Yeah, so oh, and you- I'm going to say, I mean, that that's me. That I mean, that's that's. My yeah. wife, that's that's our story. I'm, I'm now I don't have to go into a whole lot of detail, but just medically speaking, we shouldn't have any kids. We shouldn't have any kids medically speaking, you know. Um, but I still got four, you know, little ones running around. <laughs> Hopefully, you guys didn't overhear them in the background while I'm doing this interview. But I got four of them, you know. And, and medically yeah. speaking, we didn't find out to our most till our most recent pregnancy that you know, from a medical standpoint, we shouldn't have not one of them, you know. Wow. And so, you know, what, I'm not. I don't expect that to impress an atheist or whatever, but I'm just saying in terms of my own, you know, from my own account, I have seen that sort of, uh, I'll, I'll call it a miracle, you know, and I hope that it encourages yeah. believers out there who maybe struggle with that sort of thing that, you know, uh, God is able. Well, you know, That's right. Bridget said a minute ago um, that it's it may not be a miracle in the sense that like the parting of the Red Sea or the resurrection. Well, but we're talking about scale there. That's all we're talking about is the scale and perhaps the uh, degree to which it's important to the or meaningful to the the population and and how big of a population. But I mean, you know, the, a, a miracle is still a miracle. Um, yeah. I, I've been very fortunate that I haven't experienced what you guys have experienced in that regard. My wife and I um, have tried to get pregnant twice, and in both cases, we got pregnant almost immediately. And uh, we we've but we've always thought about we've always said, you know, what a blessing that is, because I don't know how you guys' wives are, but my wife is the kind that really feels a lot. I mean, even for other people that, that we, like if, if, like if I hear on the news that in Russia, uh, a, you know, a school bus fell into a pond and, and one kid yeah. died, you know, that's terrible. 
Yeah. I see it, and this is this is not the way I should be, I guess, but maybe just the way I'm built. I see that, and I'm I'm just I'm watching the news, and yeah, bad stuff's happening, of course, and yeah, that's terrible. But I mean, you know, bad. It's the news, you know. And she's sitting yeah. there in tears. Can you imagine that kid's parents? You know what they're thinking about this. And yeah. so we're very we're we're very thankful that that didn't happen to us. And I admire you guys for your strength in the midst of it. Um, Thanks. But here we are. We've reached the end of the seventy-eight questions. We got to check because I'm I'm concerned. That was, I saw it. It was it. No, no, no. We've got to check this. Are you? I think I'm still a Christian. Pritchard, are you still a Christian? Yes. I survived. Coleman, you were hanging by a thread with that first question. Are you still a Christian? Yeah, I was barely holding on, man. But it, but now they reached the end, and I see that there's no firepower whatsoever. And it's just some questions. I'm good. I'm I'm in it for the long haul, man. Yeah, it's like the longer he went on, the more ingrained in your Christianity you become. It's like, oh, <laughs> right. like man, I got to – at the beginning, you're like, I don't know. And then by the time he's done, it's like – Man, you just you just sent me back running the other way, man. Yeah, but, he really boosted my faith with his, with his last <laughs> questions. <laughs> you know the late the late Norman Geisler, who you mentioned as an influence, Adam. Um, he he actually did our commencement at Trinity one year, and I got to have dinner with him a couple of times. And uh, he said, and but I think I heard this at a breakout session somewhere when he said, but he said, I read atheist propaganda material for my devotions in the morning because it makes me feel closer to God to see how bad their arguments are. And really, while there are some sophisticated atheist arguments out there, the reality is there. what we've heard here with him at Meta, he touched on basically most of what you get. It's just that yeah. they may structure it more. They may structure it more uh, formally. Uh, they may put more thought into the wording. They may have more to, to, to go underneath those premises. But really, if you weren't impressed with this, that's about what you get. I mean, that's the spread. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you said, maybe some more sophisticated versions of it. You know, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't put. Um, I'm, I'm sure I mispronounced the name, but the Mimit. I'm sure I would, it wouldn't put him too high on the uh, the totem pole of, of atheists out there, as far from an argumentation standpoint. But nevertheless, I mean, this is kind of run of the mill stuff. I mean, problem of evil, you know, uh, problem of miracles. I mean, th those are the kind of things you get all the time, you know. And I, for somebody like myself, like I said before, I mean, uh, these are things that at one point, like, really kept me up at night. I was like, oh, man, like, what if these guys are right? But it's through investigating their arguments and seeing that there's nothing there. That I'm like, you know, there, there's no boogeyman. <laughs> right. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. Christianity is true, and I've got a good reason to stand on it. And that, and that is the important thing that we want to close on is we believe the Bible calls us to tear down arguments. And this wasn't that. But um, I will say this. The most important thing is not just to tear down arguments and defend the faith, but we defend it and we tear those down that you might believe. And um, the truth is, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He's coming again. And uh, what your response to that? Not, listen, it's not that we're so great because we figured all this out and we found the truth. As I've, I didn't come up with this, but I say it all the time: is we're we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. That's all. That's all we're doing here. And we're not saying, look how great we are that we've got all this figured out. We're pointing to Jesus and saying. He's got it all figured out. We don't have it all figured out, but he does. He's got the way to salvation. And what your response to that is, and what our response is, is to repent of your sins because we're all sinners. It doesn't mean you're some awful person like Hitler, but what it does mean is that we've all done things that we shouldn't have done. We've all disobeyed God. And in that sense, we're sinners. 
And because of that, we need to repent of that sin, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because he died for those sins, that one day we could enjoy the splendor of life everlasting in the presence of our Savior. And uh, perhaps thousands of years in the future, Adam Coleman and Jonathan Pritchett and I will sit down and talk about, you remember that time that we were having that conversation about all this and, and yet we're going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. But um, if you want to talk to us about that or share with us, if you've done that, I just got an email guys um, two days ago from a guy in Germany. I mean, uh, writing about how the show has affirmed his faith in him. And, and we get letters all the time about people who've come to Christ. And I'm sure you get that on true ID as well. And Adam, sure we, want, we want to have you back um, and talk about, the stuff that we don't know about that, that, that we're dum-dums with that you know about. And you can tell us about the Hebrew Israelite movement and all that kind of stuff, because you're, you're closer to an expert on that than we are for sure. So, um, but listen, anything you want to say or promote or pump before we close this thing down? Well, for sure. Well, first of all, man, I, I've had a blast, man. You know, I really appreciate you guys having me on, you know, it's yeah. been good kicking it. We finally got together, uh, Jonathan Pritchard, man, we've been kicking it on Marco Polo and, and yeah. not for a while. So definitely still going to hold you to it, man. You got to come on my show as well. Sure. Um, so, but you know, seriously, man, I, I had a blast, man. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, with that said, I mean, definitely uh, for anybody um, wants to check me out, definitely uh, check out trueideapologetics.com. That's T-R-U-I-D apologetics.com. That's the website. And then on YouTube, it's uh, youtube.com slash trueideapologetics, T-R-U-I-D apologetics. And the True, the True ID podcast, trueidpodcast.com as well. So I got a bunch of material out there. want to give a shout out to my man Tim Stratton over there, Free Thinking Ministries. I'm saying um, I'm down with him as well. Got some articles on his website. He's a, he's a great dude. And actually, he was the first one that gave me a crack at uh, being a, a real apologist, you know, and getting my stuff out there. So cool. uh, definitely want to give him a shout out and a uh, shout out to the King Movement uh, with, my, with my man Chris Broussard. Shout out to the Mentionables, all the guys in the urban apologetics community. Um, and my man Matt Jackson, I was glad to see him yeah. over with you guys yesterday, yeah. man. That's, that's my guy, man. Love him. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to see him. Y'all definitely check out his channel as well. And uh, I could give a, a billion shout outs, you know, to, to others as well. But, you know, and, you know, come check me out and I'll refer you to a slew of other people. I'm not the only one. You know, whether it be myself, Vocab Malone, BK Apologist, Nefer Nitty, David Richardson, there's a bunch of us out here. And uh, yeah, I hope you get to know them as well. Yeah, she's awesome. I, I, I subscribed to her channel when you were all oh, yeah. been watching ever since. Yeah, great stuff. She knows, mm -hmm. she knows her stuff. And Love Pritch it. Pritchett also did an uh, uh, episode today on John Dunphy's channel, JMD Apologetics. So go check that out uh, when you get done with this. He's had a long day. Pritch is popping off lately, man. Blowing up, man. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but uh, listen, we've enjoyed having you here. And folks, um, I don't know what series we're going to do next. I don't know where the Millennium Falcon that is Trinity Radio is going to head in the future. But uh, it's been good having you with us today. If you've been in the chat for this, we really appreciate that. And we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. <laughs>